0: Coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to The Vip. Jazz Wall Report. The Greek poet S. Helos said that there is no pain so great as the memory of joy in present grief. And no matter how different or diverse we are as human beings, the one thing in common among us is that we experience, we share, communicate, and relate to a variety of emotions. And today... We talk about the emotion of grief in its many forms and how to overcome it. The grief of death, the grief of tragedy, the grief of love, and the fear of grief itself. I even want to know if God purposely wants us to grieve. To advise us, I have on the show Chaplain Major Wade Jensen, who's the chaplain to the 153rd Airlift Wing at the Cheyenne Army National Guard Base in Wyoming. He's also the author of the book, The Pathological Grieving of America. Welcome to the show, Chaplain Jensen.
1: Thank you, sir. Sure appreciate it.
0: Well, you know, I've been grieving ever since I lost my bachelor status. What about you?
1: (laughs) Well, no man has ever completely finished until he's married.
0: <laughs> well, I read your book. I really enjoyed it. And I thought I'd have you on the show. Um, you know, my understanding of grief is, is that it's a combination of sadness, fear, loss, emptiness, confusion, self-pity, all rolled into one emotion. That, you know, I was thinking about it. And, 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 but you tell me, I mean, in simple terms, what's your definition of Grief.
1: Grief is the process we will go through any time we experience a loss mm-hmm. or perceive a loss. And that is basically what's wrapped up in grief in a nutshell. Right, right, right. Yeah. And it, yes, what you mentioned, it involves all, all these other emotions. There's five basic stages to grief. Mm-hmm. And of course, one is denial where we're we're like it's just so out of our ordinary that we just can't really accept it at that moment. Right. And then we'll have the anger where something rises up in us like this is an injustice. How can this happen? Mm-hmm. And then we'll ask the what if questions, which is the bargaining of what do you mean this happened? How? How could it have been prevented? And then we'll sink into a depression or time, And any one of these, you know, we can have the experience of emotions, of crying out, being completely angry, uh, feeling like we have a 50-pound weight around our neck. Mm-hmm. But then ultimately the process is to get us to that place of acceptance where we will come in and realize, you know what, we need to go on with our lives.
0: Let's start with denial then. Um, sure. Is denial also... A state of shock, a state of numbness.
1: Absolutely. And interestingly, you mentioned that, Mm. uh, like in the military, a chaplain is part of the death notification team simply because, along with a medical officer, that's what happens. Many people will go into shock, literally physical shock, Mm -hmm. where they have to be treated.
0: And then this whole thing about anger, you see, the anger that follows. Um, give me an example. What does anger look like?
1: Well, that depends really on every unique person. Since we all have a different way of dealing with anger, some people will withdraw and keep to themselves. Other people, like us with a German background, tend to be a little bit more I say expressive with some anger, mm-hmm. maybe even to the point of grabbing something, smashing it up. And we can see this within dif- different cultures, which you, having your background as an Indian American, might mm. be even a little
0: different. I was wondering, you know, I was thinking about it last night um, can anger be expressed to God?
1: The answer is yes, and this is the hard part where maybe some people would think, well, how can you be angry at God? Because from my point of view, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: we can only be angry with somebody we're in relationship with. Yes. So anger toward God, in my perspective, is a good thing, and if there is that anger toward God, we need to do three things. We need to say it, We need to express it to him, And whatever that God is for somebody, whether, you know, you go into a church and literally yell at the top of your lungs, Mm -hmm. or you need to go out to the woods and just let it all out. The second part is we truly do need to own it and say, you know what? Yeah, God, I'm angry at you. And that ain't going to change right now. And then finally, we, we do ultimately need to deal with it now some people when they hear deal with it that means just you know lock the door and call it good Mm -hmm. no we need to approach it approach god from our perspective and say i need some perspective here i need to really have some assistance in how am i going to get through this
0: but you know god is silent
1: according to some people's view, yes, and yet to other people, Mm -hmm. God's very expressive, where, and I'll be very self-disclosing, where I'm dealing with a diagnosis on my own son of, wow, how am I going to deal with this? And in the midst of that, you know, I've expressed my feelings, yes, to God, Mm -hmm. and In the process, in my circumstances, where they're saying my son could possibly be on the autistic scale, his current teacher has an autistic son. Hmm. So from my point of view, God's already working in the circumstances.
0: So where do you feel that God is talking back to you through the teacher having the autistic son, that like that's a sign?
1: Yes. In my opinion, it is a sign. And for others, where people will call some of us weird, where we really do feel we hear the voice of God, Mm -hmm. and other people literally do something like that. They will ask, hey, you know, if I'm in a place of peace, could you give me a sign? And, you know, to quote a little American history, a lot of people do not realize that Abraham Lincoln prayed to God and said, if you would stop Lee from getting into Pennsylvania. I will sign the Emancipation Proclamation. He took that as a sign from God when he was defeated and thus signed the Emancipation Proclamation.
0: Hmm. You also said bargaining. It's the what if. Could you expand on that because I I didn't understand that.
1: That is, and when you even mentioned the God factor in there. The the bargaining is where we come into that place of asking the what-if questions. What if I had turned right instead of left? Mm -hmm. What if I would have just been off work that day, like some of those people from 9-11? What if my loved one hadn't gone to work? Uh, Why did this happen? And then we ask God, why did you let this happen? Or how could you allow something this like this to happen? Mm-hmm. And so th- those questions we will have many people ask of, and as I heard working with brain tumor patients, you know, did God give this to me to teach me something? All of these different kinds of questions and however people have it happen, will ask these questions. And... Those of us in the military who have been in a firefight, or, you know, why did my buddy get killed but I'm still alive? Mm. So it's grieving the loss of a friend and yet being happy in the same right that I'm still alive and then going through survivor's guilt later on, too, like this shouldn't be. That's all a part of the bar- bargaining process.
0: But are these questions relevant?
1: Absolutely. And the reason is, when it comes to grieving a loss, and this is why it's so important, i.e. a death notification, Mm -hmm. or to get the true diagnosis, or a second opinion. When we have the truth made known, it helps us to realize and deal with what is happening. So as an example, I'm also a cancer survivor. When I was diagnosed back in 1998, I did go through this whole process. I mean, the first thing I did was denial. I was was like, nah, I'm in my 20s. I'm indestructible. You got to be kidding me. And of course I went and got a second opinion. And sure enough, that second opinion confirmed the first one. Hmm. And then that led to surgery. And thankfully, You know, I'm alive and I'm still here today. But that is part of going through these stages where the bargaining is also getting down to the heart of the matter. And that heart of the matter, whether that is also the truth, however we perceive that, or how we perceive God working in the midst of our circumstances, Mm -hmm. we all need to come through that and this is where you, you take the big things that all of us can relate to, from your 15-year-old son to the truck driver listening. What? Why 9-11? You know, why were so many people asking questions? Right. The bargaining process helps us get down to say, what if we did have the black boxes? What if we really did know what was said on the other planes? Mm-hmm it would answer a lot of questions, and those bargaining questions are some of them.
0: Now, after the bargaining phase, you move into the depression phase.
1: And as you said that statement, I do want to clarify something Mm -hmm. where in our American culture, we think very linear. We think, okay, there's five stages of grief. I've done step one through four, and now five is acceptance, I'm done. Mm. That is not the case with grief, because grief is messy. It's like, uh, you could go back and forth between denial and anger for 100 days. And then you could be bouncing back and forth between anger and depression, and then go back to bargaining, because it becomes uh, a vicious cycle that all of us will be like a ping pong ball, just going back and forth, and that depression phase, when that hits, hmm. it literally is like if you've ever been somebody like uh, a hurt back or feeling like that weight is hanging around you. And if you are seven foot four and 500 pounds, just picture a 400-pound weight around you.
0: Right. Or I'm glad us. you said that. You know why? Because I kept yeah. thinking that it was some sort of a science where, you know, one – evolves, then diminishes, and then the next one starts. But actually, it's a state of experiences that can happen in isolation or in combination at any given and moment I, in time.
1: And things can happen that can remind us of mm. the event. And we're, we're going to think like, man, my friend David died four years ago. Right. I, why, why am I thinking about this? And then you realize you're seeing a man dressed in a Hawaiian shirt that looks just like him mm-hmm. in so many ways. And that reminder just tricks something in your brain, right. and all of a sudden you find yourself weeping in a public place, like right. I did.
0: But before that trigger happens, that means you've reached some level of acceptance, right? Yes. Um, and and then, what does acceptance look like?
1: Acceptance is where it doesn't mean you you've completely forgotten the event. Yeah. It means that you've come to that place and realized. I do need to go on, Mm -hmm. and I cannot bring the person back, or for those of us who've had health things happen, my same state of health isn't going to be the same from what it was in 1998, Mm -hmm. but that hasn't stopped me from going forward, and that's the whole point of coming to acceptance is not living in that moment, but realizing, okay, I have hit that bump in the road, mm-hmm. now it's time to drive down the road some more.
0: Right. As part of the acceptance and the so-called the bargaining, does part of that include, and dare I say it, forgiving God?
1: Absolutely. And some people think, well, God could do nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. But from our human perspective, from our point of view, yes, we need to forgive God. And that whole thing of forgiveness, I mean, a lot of us who have taken out a loan and have the debt forgiven, Mm -hmm. well, did the bank have to do that? And it's kind of like us with God. If God is the so-called bank, and we can just say, okay, well, God's forgiven me, or the bank's forgiven me, I guess, you know, in return, I'll still do business with the bank. Right. And that's where we have to relate it that, hey, I can do business with God still. And if that's what it takes is to forgive God from our perspective, then I say go for it.
0: Now, you're part of the death notification team, right, that goes out to spouses and families yeah. of those who, have say, lost their lives in battle. Um yeah. How do you approach that situation? Because I'm, I'm sure it must be very sort of, it's obviously emotional for them and traumatic for them, but it must be tough for you. How do, how do you go about and what do you say?
1: Uh, many times nothing. Sometimes the most powerful thing I can say is nothing. And it really depends on every situation, mm. and that's where every single one of us Uh, According to a proverb that says no heart knows its own bitterness, every person will respond in a different way. And if it's appropriate, I may say something of, hey, I am here to be a support to you. Mm -hmm. Or we're told to weep with those who weep. I mean, yeah, I've had a grown man cry on my shoulder and I'm weeping with him at the loss of his son. And so it really can be a complete spectrum just like the rainbow from one side to the other somebody might be seeing a different color and whether that color is red which could represent anger or blue representing now nah, I'm just I'm going to completely deny this ever happened. Hmm. And, and and as you mentioned earlier where that denial thing can kick in, and it's uh, no, we got to actually be giving a little first aid treatment here. Have the person sit down, get them a glass of water because they're about to faint due to shock.
0: That's going to so be very that, a very tough job to do.
1: Well, yes, as I've told many people, my job—I don't always enjoy
0: it—is
1: mm. fulfilling.
0: Based on your experience, does grief vary in nature depending on the type of loss? I mean, like in in terms of death, you know, uh, some die naturally, some die in an accident, some die in war, some die through disease.
1: Yes. And this is also from our point of view, Mm. if, say, for instance, we lose a child, well, not just as a parent do we grieve that big loss, mm-hmm. but a sense of injustice can kick in, like, this just isn't right. I mean, a child shouldn't be buried by their parent. It's usually the other way around. Like, God, where where are you in this, that this just isn't fair? Mm-hmm. And so if any of us have that kind of a point of view where we... we sense that injustice well even more will kick in and depending on how we interpret that it can uh, take the factor of the wow factor even higher right. in how we respond whether it's the anger the outbursts the depression and that's where does, we yes go ahead does
0: it help When you, as part of the notification team, what I'm trying to get at, does it help for someone who has lost someone in similar circumstances to come with you as part of the notification team to help others deal with their loss that was in a similar circumstance?
1: Actually, that does help out. Hmm. And I've even had people who have notified me A few times on the military side and on my civilian side of life when I was working with brain tumor patients, I mean, those who had lost a spouse or a child Mm. to a brain tumor, they'd be like, hey, here, here's my number. Can I come with you when you're seeing a new patient Mm -hmm. to let them just know that I'm there to be a support to them? And the answer is yes, absolutely.
0: You know, for those who are grieving... Part of not letting that grief go away is, is because one feels that by continuing to grieve, one is being loyal and faithful and in love. And, and, and if you stop grieving, then you stop loving and thereby being unfaithful. I mean, how do you help those who feel that way?
1: It's interesting because uh, some of us who've traveled around, like we can think of Greek culture where the widow will still be dressed in black. Mm-hmm. where that's very acceptable. But they've actually gone on with their lives. Now, it depends on if that person is memorializing the person mm-hmm. or the loss or if they're idolizing it. Right. So and explain
0: to us what memorialize and idolize mean.
1: So memorializing, uh, to use a an example and keep names out of it, a gentleman who lost his son in a motorcycle accident... Obviously, his only son, a very deep loss. In honor of his son, he established a scholarship in his name. And so each year, he hands out a scholarship to a veteran who wants to go on to college. And so they have memorialized his son and, and in a sense given him a chance to still do something even though he's gone now idolizing is where uh, in another case somebody lost both children it was very tragic but it was you come into the house and it's big pictures everywhere of the two kids and it almost is like an altar set up that this person is saying, I'm not going to go past this. Mm-hmm. And if if we idolize that, well, then we're not making the choice to go on to acceptance where we can truly move on and go on with our lives.
0: Well, I find the memorialization of this, well, that, that story where they set up the, the scholarship fund, that's a very beautiful one. But what I'm taking from you is, that making grief work for us by doing something external rather than keeping it internal, right?
1: That is the whole key to getting over grief and loss.
0: And, you know, transferring or- the emotions of doing something positive to an external state of being rather than an internal state of being, right?
1: Not just that, but just in the very act of grieving, as we talked earlier, mm-hmm. whether it's the expressive anger. Or the the deep weeping, the crying, the outbursts, the the extreme sadness, we need to express it in some way.
0: So you're making expressive be constructive. Yes. I love that. I really love that.
1: And if we took it to another level where in a community where there's been a tragic loss, whether it's been uh hurricane katrina where five years after the event happened you still had all these people that were literally just still not over what had happened Mm. and a number of different faiths got together and basically held a memorial service which that's the whole point of the memorial is to help the people that are still here get over what happened And they literally did a memorial service of saying, okay, we're going to bury this thing in the past, and we're going to make a decision right now that we're going to go on with our lives.
0: Part of grieving could also be self-pity. You know, the fact that why did it have to happen to me syndrome. And and I want to ask, I mean, how does one manage that?
1: And this goes with different personalities where if you're somebody who likes to go out in nature Mm -hmm. and whether it's fish, hunt, just hike, run, that you can get to that place of I'm going to walk through this. There's others like myself, for instance. I love coffee. I'm an extrovert. I'd like to get around with a few friends and really just be able to externally process what's going on and if, you know, I'm I'm having friends there not to tell me, "Dude, you're all messed up. You can't act like this." No, I want somebody to listen to me and say, "Hey, I'm really stuck in the mud here and I, I don't know how to get out." And it 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 can be a plethora of different things that people can do. And but is really that,
0: is that is, that's more a distraction. I'm, I'm talking about, you know, feeling sorry for oneself. Um, I understand going for a walk in with nature and, and, and you know, yeah. uh, having a coffee or something like that, but the moment the coffee finishes and you get back home after the walk, how do you stop yourself getting back into the self-pity syndrome?
1: That is doing three things simply Mm. one is you got to face it second is you really have to embrace it and by embracing it is really acknowledging just what is going on and then the third is really trying to flip it around and it's going back to what you even said really well about making it external Mm -hmm. if I am really sad that oh, my dad died, but I've got a 90-year-old neighbor who needs help with his lawn or needs his snow shoveled, it's when we focus on something else and direct that and get out of that self-pity, and it's really by facing it. And we do have to own it. And this is the hard part about grief and loss right. is, yes, it does suck. There's yeah. no other way to say it. It's hard.
0: No, I think that that's perfectly said. And I think what I'm taking from you is to try and focus yourself on being constantly distracted by doing something constructive, right? Because the moment yeah, you're yeah, in isolation, that's... the moment you're in isolation or you're back in your house or your room or whatever mm-hmm. and you let your mind wander, Mm-hmm. Human nature is such that it tends to go into the self-pity, the negativity, and, and the depression mode.
1: Right, and that's where we will have that, and that's part of the whole depression, despair phase. Mm. That That is the reality of it, and that's the point, too, where if that is something that we can't get out of, Well, that's why we really do need to seek the help. And whether it is a minister, friend, chaplain, counselor, spiritual guide, whatever it takes for that person to help get out of it is the most important thing to do.
0: But you know, every time I think, every time people go through this scenario, and we all will go through it in some way, shape, or form, Part of us also believe that we don't need help; that we can manage it ourselves, because nobody knows our own personal circumstances. Um, you know, you know. So every, it's quite natural for everyone to think that they don't need help. But if someone was to say, "What the heck? I'll 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 give it a try." Where do we go? Are there any national support places or?
1: There are, depending on where you are in the nation, Mm. there are different places that absolutely will help. And depending on somebody's faith group, there are resources available for people to go through. And especially if somebody loses a loved one through cancer, uh, part of their insurance should cover a year of grief counseling following the death and uh like in my local area mm. besides a church or a synagogue uh there's the center for loss in south of where i live that can take people through uh down in the austin area there is something called discovery there is something called restoring the foundations that can help people mm. or cleansing stream there there's basically whatever resources somebody wanted to get their hands on right they
0: could get it. It's interesting, actually, because what you said was more a reactionary effect after the death or the loss. If we know something is about to happen or going to happen, say in a cancer patient, or say, you know, when when um, the soldiers embark on, 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 or going abroad and they're getting ready for battle, are there scenarios or or setups that can help uh, deal with with depression before it occurs
1: yes and that's depending on your environment you're in Mm. like we in the military side we have certain programs we actually have to go through before we go on a deployment as an example and Of course, that's also an anticipation, yes, I'm going to be separated from my family for the next six, seven months, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to leave this wonderful American culture and be somewhere else. or restricted to a base where I'm going to be confined, and we Americans love our freedom, so that can be a hard one for some of us to deal with, and so there can be programs or support groups or networks within your local community that, and thanks to the wonderful internet we have today, it's fairly easy to find some sources to tap into.
0: Are there any any national sources that you know of?
1: Well, uh, as I mentioned, Dr. Wolfelt with the Center for Loss, I know he speaks all around the country, mm. and that's where... Internationally, nationally, internationally, where, whether it's ministers, counselors, psychologists, they're available everywhere for people to tap into, and different ones will have groups all around the country. Right. And uh, there's a place where, because giving where I live here in Cheyenne, Wyoming, there's a place like called the Heartlight Center down in the Denver area mm-hmm. that will see people that have experienced a loss. Or they can go to free of charge if they are expecting a major loss.
0: Right. And talking about loss, you gave me a very interesting topic yesterday when we spoke. You said that this holiday season is usually the highest time for suicide rates in the country. Yes, that is correct. Does that imply that when you're in grief, one should not surround oneself around happiness? Because it actually makes you more depressed?
1: And actually, it's at this time of year and...
0: They say, you know, misery loves company.
1: (laughs) Or birds of a feather flock together. Mm. And the hard part is, if somebody has gone through a loss, especially with a loved one, The holidays remind them of the loved one, and so whether it's between Thanksgiving and Christmas, New Year's, Hmm. that this is a time where they'll remember, oh, man, I did this with my wife every year on January 1st, or I did this every year with my husband, and now he's gone. And so this time of year is very crucial to reach out to those around us and just ask the simple question, how are you? And because, yes, it's in isolation that, as you alluded to earlier, with the self-pity or if we're focusing on that. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's just like somebody stuck in mud in Alabama or in our part of the country where... Sometimes you just need somebody to come and pull you out.
0: If that somebody is not there to pull me out and I'm grieving and, and I don't want to listen to anybody, I don't want to do anything, I, I don't want to do anything technical or, you know, be approached by a professional, I just want time by myself, um, there could be uh, the the suicidal thoughts could be entering my mind, things like that. So people in that situation, what are the three sort of steps that you would – Recommend that they do uh, that might ease their pain?
1: Uh, first, I'd build a net. In that case, uh, you know, if you're, especially if somebody obviously would know about the situation, if it is a loss of a loved one, mm. and that net can be the friend and just say, look, I'm going through a hard time. You know what? I want to embrace my hard time. So don't talk me out of it. Okay. And they are part of that net where they can catch them. And the second part is whatever it takes of owning it themselves. And if that is through their process to get it out, and that's where, like, personality-wise it depends, uh because I'm external, I journal. Mm-hmm. I will write write my feelings out and just dictate it, and whether it's good, bad, indifferent, ugly, and get it out on paper. And that's part how this book came into being. And another one is just, as Winston Churchill would say, if you're going through hell, keep going. Right. Keep going forward. The, the thing you cannot do, especially if you're in a semi or a like I had a 65 Barracuda, and if the power steering went out, it's really hard to steer a parked car. Right. But if you're moving forward, well, you know what? You can, you can steer and adjust according to how you need to. And that's really the key is for any one of us is to just continue, continually have the momentum to go forward.
0: So this time of year, the suicide rates are particularly high because of the festivities and the memories associated with those festivities. Yes. So
1: and as you mentioned, too, the isolation piece, if somebody used to get together with, say, an in-law family, mm. and now the spouse is gone and they're not really welcomed anymore and all of a sudden it's not just the loss of the spouse they experienced it's now the loss of a social gathering a support group a connection that they had that no longer is there so in a sense it's a double whammy
0: well it could be a triple whammy because you know if I'm depressed but still relatively sane of mind I might not want to take my burden to my friend during the holiday season and, and and sort of, you know, diminish his passion for enjoying the season.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That would be the yeah. that would be the triple turmoil that happens within me.
1: Right. And that's where in a in a healthy way something's kicking in to realize wow, I don't want to drag somebody else down in this. Right. And, of course, in this part of the country, that's where you realize if somebody is on ice, you don't want to get too close to help them get out of the ice. You want to be back far enough to be able to pull them out. And at the same time, hopefully that person would realize that a rope is extended, that somebody is there willing to help.
0: So in all of this, at the end of the day, can we all just summarize it by saying time heals everything?
1: Uh, Sometimes, yes. Mm -hmm. But beyond time, I would say perspective. It's how we perceive it. And if if we see it as, man, this is just the worst tragedy ever, I'm never going to get over it, well... If that is your viewpoint, you're not going to get over it.
0: Can you get over it if the next tragedy is greater than the previous?
1: And for some people who have experienced tragedy after tragedy, the answer is yes. Hmm. But then there is something that does happen through each time we do go through a serious loss is there can actually be growth that comes through it. Uh, We can become more fruitful in what we were as a person than beforehand. And that different perspective of, okay, now that I've had this happen, Mm -hmm. uh, and I can think of a stroke patient I took care of who, frankly, his art did not sell before the stroke He had a massive stroke, lost what we would call basically half the function of his body. So on one side, it just didn't work. That was his dominant hand side. That didn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. So he had to start painting with his left hand. And all of a sudden, those paintings started selling. And I mean selling well. I mean one piece selling for several thousand
0: dollars. Now all so, this all this led you to write the book The Pathological Grieving of America.
1: Yes. Just through my own experience of not just personally but also helping others realizing that some people literally do just get stuck in it and that's what I mean by pathological that is just something that we're stuck in mm. and we can't seem to go on and the point is to overcome it and through that process even answering the hard questions or asking the hard questions and yes I'll admit I don't have all the answers I don't think any of us really do
0: but this is a book that's been written by you on by yourself it's not endorsed by the army though
1: No, this is completely my own doing. It's not endorsed by the Wyoming Air Guard or the Air Force. This Mm -hmm. is just me and just me speaking that I would notice certain patterns of whether it's individuals, communities, and obviously, too, on the national level of we're not getting past what we need to in order to bounce back and get going.
0: Do you think, do you think as a nation, we're not grieving as much as we should be? Uh, Because now with ISIS coming in and all the terrorist activities, the constant state of alerts, um, that we're sort of becoming a little numb.
1: Yes, and uh, you hit a great point. That I think in our culture, we, I think, frankly, we just don't know how to grieve well, because I'll take my background, for instance, having that German side of the family. You know what? Anger was just okay for a German man to express. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little laughter in the midst of pinochle and drinking whiskey. But then you see a grown man cry I mean, that was like, you, you don't do that. And I think in our culture, whether you, you look at what happened since 9-11, that we weren't allowed to really respond in the way we should right. and come to a place where we can accept it and then realize even after that, like that stroke survivor I mentioned, maybe the best days are still ahead of us rather than people looking at the past and thinking, oh, you know what, that's the best we ever had. It's not gonna get any better than this.
0: But you're saying we don't know how to grieve. Um, What's the best way to grieve?
1: That's dependent on every single person.
0: But then you see now, that's another variable, and then the fact that we don't know how to grieve is another variable. Right. Uh, Two variables together. Make for a great degree of confusion. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that's like I said, grief does get messy. Mm. And to alleviate that confusion, like I wish I could say that I came up with the exact formula of how to get rid of it in seven steps. The answer is I ask a lot of open ended questions, and that answer for one person may be completely different than the other. Mm. But the answer is not allowing yourself to acknowledge it and to, to, to embrace it.
0: The best part of your book was the whole memorialized concept, which I thought was brilliant, where you're actually transferring what you feel internally to something tangible externally. Uh, And in in a constructive manner, but I think that family set up the uh, scholarship fund and making sure, you know, the fund operates properly and and, and it's sort of positioned rightly. Uh, It's a distraction. It's constructive. It's in honor of of the person that you lost. Mm -hmm. I I thought that was simply brilliant.
1: Thank you. And there's other keys in there Mm -hmm. that, according to... Uh, what might relate to different people, like that example, stood out for you really well. And for another person, maybe it is writing the life story of that person. And uh, there's uh, one patient I took care of, for example. He was General Eisenhower's driver, and it was his wife, actually, that I really spoke with as well but he was general eisenhower's driver in world war ii Mm -hmm. and then went on in his life and in i mean here he him being an african-american and his wife being a caucasian lady and they were married in 1962 and i'm thinking here you were general eisenhower's driver and you two got married in a time in our country where culturally this wasn't acceptable and i'm thinking Maybe you need to put this into print. And so what that process is for everyone can be different. And, of course, I do give some different suggestions based on hopefully hitting somebody where their hot button is.
0: Who should read the book?
1: I would say anyone who has really experienced a loss. Mm Mm-hmm maybe they've heard us today talk about this and they're in that place where they are stuck and they can relate to man I've been stuck in the mud for a year or maybe it's been five years Mm -hmm. or there's a lady I mean I just struck up a conversation with in a restaurant and just happens people just pour out their lives without me asking (laughs) where she said yeah I lost my son to cancer seven and a half years ago Mm -hmm. and it was as if that day happened yesterday. That, that's who this is for.
0: And where can we get the book?
1: It is available on Amazon, and thanks to technology, uh, it is in Kindle form or the paperback if you're a little old-fashioned like me and just want to get it. And if people just did a search, Pathological Grieving of America, it comes right up on my computer, so, and that's the nice part about technology today. It's just that easy to find.
0: Oh, it is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Chaplain Jensen, thank you so much for sharing your expertise, your knowledge, your wisdom.
1: I really appreciate the invite, too, Vip.
0: And wishing you a very merry Christmas.
1: And the same to you and your family. <laughs>
0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Your comments and your follow are so very welcome on my Twitter account at VipJazzWorld and my Facebook page, The VipJazzWorld Report. A special shout-out of thanks to my wonderful team, William Sanchez and Rick Busser. I wish you a wonderful evening tonight with your family and loved ones, and until next Sunday, have a productive and a very happy week ahead.